The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Two men with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom. Now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 62 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, the podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. Still waiting for the crossover between DC Comics' The Ray and Claymation Ray Charles from the old California Raisins commercial, I'm Adam. And still unable to comprehend Adam's obsession with old TV ads from the 80s, I'm Michael. (laughs) (laughs) And back on the podcast tonight is a guy for whom the old adage, a comic a day keeps the doctor away is a way of life. Even though that saying was literally just made up by me for the podcast. It's our pal, Mike Schwartz, aka 50 Cent Comic Collector. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm I'm very excited to be back on. Uh, And I have to say, I, I do believe a comic a day keeps the doctor away. I'm the only one in the house that collects comics, and I'm currently the only one that is not sick so hey, I, hey. I believe that's true and i have bought <laughs> but since i've been back i have bought i think oh my god maybe nine long boxes of 50 cent comics what so, i am i'm feeling really good guys feeling really- <laughs> Well, we got to ask you this, because obviously that's your stock and trade for those of you who follow Mike on Instagram, and he is posting, you know, these awesome comics from his collection. He'll throw them out to you. Yeah, he finds some real, he finds some real gems. And I have to point this out. If you don't follow 50 Cent Comic Collector, you should, because he posts these really clever things. And also he's got a countdown of how many comics he's read or like, what are you at now? From what was the start number for the year? And what are you at at this point? Like, you know, this this other Instagrammer, uh, I think his name is like Weapon X Squall or something. I forget the exact handle. He, he challenged me to it. He said, oh, you know, I was challenged. I'm challenging you to read 500 comics by the year's end. At which when he when he told me that, I was like, I'll be done that in three months. But I've been working in VFX and I don't and I'm sure you've read a lot about VFX recently from Marvel. Yeah. Uh, about all the Marvel controversy. And I work for a company that does Marvel effects. So I'm I haven't I don't work on any Marvel shows, but I am privy to a lot of stuff that goes on in them. And uh uh even not being on a Marvel show, I'm up to like midnight some nights delivering shots. So it my whole life has like completely changed since jumping back into VFX. And I don't have the time like I used to, to read as many comics. So I'm, I think I'm currently at 180 left. I have 180 right. left to hit 500. Wow. I mean, I could go on a huge tangent on VFX, but I have to just ask, and this is totally just me nerding out about this type of stuff. I, I have a lot of interest in comics are one, movies and VFX are another, and I just like to nerd out. But Adam, <laughs> cut all this out anyway, because it's just me yeah. rambling. I'm going to cue the going off theme song. Yes, please do. Unctious, rambunctious, fantastically infunctious, nickel beers and hockey games, the chicken wings are scrumptious. You need to change the tire when the rubber gets soft. We don't shirk responsibilities, that's why we're going off. These are the things we love. 
okay, 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 okay. What do you use? Like Cinema 4D? Do you use uh, Lightroom? What do you, what do you, oh, uh, Lightwave or whatever? What do you guys use? Well, okay. So I'm just a production manager. Let me say okay. that first. So I, I, I'm not an artist. They use Maya. Maya, yeah. Um, oh my God. I'm blanking. You just had to ask me the, <laughs> that, that's the, okay. Let the man talk I about comics, Michael. He's been thinking about VFX all day. Let the man I take know. a break here. After we're done recording, you can ask me anything you'd like. Tangent time with Mike. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> but Mike, let me ask you this. Since you are posting so many comic covers for people to look at, if you had to pick one comic cover to post on Instagram every day for a year straight, if that was the challenge we were giving to you, what cover do you think you would choose? What is your favorite comic book cover? And does it have to be a 50 cent comic no. I bought? No, and no, just across the board, yeah. Well, I would just, honestly, my I would post my dad's Amazing Fantasy 15 over oh, and over uh, and over. That's oh, wow. Like, wow. I, every time I go to his house, my wife's always like, where did Mike go? And I'm usually upstairs in his bedroom flipping to his Amazing Fantasy 15. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. That is wild, yeah. I actually posted it in my story today, so. I thought I so. I, th I thought I saw that. I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, uh, you know, when you finally inherit that copy, I'm sure it is on its way to you. Who else could love it more uh, in, in the many years from now? Uh, the question I think people will ask is, hey, people are going to be writing in to say, Mike, do you think that I could get a look at it? Can I just smell it? Can I just <laughs> hold it for 10 seconds? You're going to be getting plenty of correspondence. But, you know, who else was getting lots of correspondence? Man, this was a long walk. Was Jim <laughs> McLaughlin over in the Magic Words column. So, guys, it's time we open Open up Willie Lumpkin's mailbag. Adam Pope, <laughs> king of the transition, baby. King of the uh, transition. Doing what Woo! We can. That was hey, that God. was wordy. <laughs> <laughs> So in this issue, guys, what's interesting is that, you know, there was discussion about Wolverine's new noseless look and all these other, you know, comic book related items. But of course, we like to go behind the scenes at Wizard. And a lot of people were also curious about how things were operating, you know, coming out of the Wizard offices. So that's a lot of what Jim McLaughlin was answering this time around. Uh, starting out in the Market Watch section, this is interesting because I usually don't read much from there because lately it's just kind of been like, well, what's this worth? Can you? tell me but somebody had an interesting question here a gentleman named bart tan from the philippines says what does a wizard ace edition of a comic book look like i have read that these special editions are being offered as incentives to comic dealers if they order a certain quantity of wizard every month and the answer was the wizard ace editions are limited edition reproductions of rare and popular original issues they have an acetate wraparound cover in order to get one of these gems, retailers must order a certain number of Wizard magazines from their distributor. Ask your local retailers if they have any. Ace editions, that is. I, have you guys ever seen a Wizard Ace edition comic? Yeah, I feel like I've seen some like in the back issue bins. I, I don't think I own any. I may own like a couple. So uh, were these like full reprints with just a new cover or was it exactly. just like... 
yeah yeah okay. so, so so they're basically like like in the archives here we have like a madman comics one we have a uh, an ash ace edition and things like that yeah it's like they say so it's it's a reprint of the issue but it's got a new cover that's literally like a see-through acetate like an animation cell on the front and then you so see you can flip that open and then there's a background behind it it's a really neat gimmick but i i always wondered where they came from and now we know they literally were direct to a retailer for a certain volume of wizard magazines ordered so there you go a little incentive back in the day gotta grease those wheels right It's like the, the half issues they eventually go to, right? Well, the half issues, though, were available to everybody that bought a magazine. You could just grab the coupon and mail away and pay for the shipping, and then you got a half issue. But the Ace Editions only went to the comic book store owners. You could only get it with your okay. order of Wizard Magazine, apparently, according to this letter. So pretty cool. Pretty cool to understand that. But uh, Michael, there's another person right in here who had an interesting request. So it's funny you do this because your letter was on page 120. Mine was on page eight. He's, you thought of me and you're like, Michael is not going to scroll to 120 pages. Let me, give him the, let me give him page eight. It's easy to find. He's not going to screw it up. Here we go. So a uh, Julian Staros or Staros writes, Dear Wizard, I previously sent you a letter about Havoc being the ex-traitor. Anyway, please don't put it in the magazine. I was wrong. You probably wouldn't have done it anyway, but please don't. Thank you. And then they write, okay, no problem. guy's freaking out he's like people are gonna think i'm an idiot because i said havoc was the x trader it was professor x all along ah all chris farley on himself yeah <laughs> but mike what about this next one here i'm curious what we're gonna learn about the goings on yes uh, matthew bond of poplar point manitoba canada a place i've never been to asks hey. a question about the changes in the drawing tutorial feature so he says, I have a question for you. What happened to Greg Capullo's crash course? I like that column a lot. Now you've got basic training, which I like too, but not as much. <laughs> and then they respond with, we decided to evolve our art column into the form that is now basic training so that we could focus on many different aspects of comic art and play to protect the particular strength of a different artist every month. That's why you've seen the likes of Jimmy Palmiotti on inking and Jim Ballant on drawing women. These guys are artists who are well known for their abilities in these areas. In future months, look for Kelly Jones on setting a dark and spooky mood and Norm Brayfogle <laughs> on laying out a comic page. And as usual, your recommendations are always welcome. Because, you know, like if you recall, originally it was Bart Sears doing Brutes and Babes. Yeah, then Greg Capullo yeah. got Crash Course. And now they're just mixing it up every issue, which is nice. Gets a variety. Do you think they just got too busy? I was going to say, short answer is they're too busy to do a com column every single issue. So we're just going to mix it up and who's available. They'll give us something this month. Sounds great. Thanks, wizard. There you go. <laughs> Next here, there is a gentleman named Brian Skiff of Los Angeles, California, who demands to know the identity of the wizard bunny. As you guys might recall, Jim McLaughlin have been giving out the bunny award for the best letter each month. And not always the best letter for us to read, but there is a person in a bunny costume typing at a desk. And eventually this evolves into a full costume character in the early 2000s that's always dressing up in each issue in a different costume. But here is the deal. Dear wizard people, who's the guy in the bunny suit? 
And Jim responds, this is a surprisingly common question, but it's not a guy in a suit. It's an actual bunny that we found romping on the lot outside our building. He's actually very friendly, and we've been able to teach him some rudimentary typing skills. Still, that's nothing compared to the problem we have with him leaving pellets all over the place. Sometimes I think we're too close to those toxic waste dumps in Jersey. That tracks, I'll, I'll say. I'll... I know. So they're having a little bit of fun with us. We're going to have to ask, because I, I was told that uh, I don't know who the original wizard bunny was in that photo, but later on, they basically would just give the interns the bunny suit. And they're like, put this on. And they're like, oh, it smells terrible. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a rite of passage when he went to work in the wizard offices. Yes. But speaking of working at the wizard offices, Michael, close us out here. So the next one is from wizard staffer Alejandro. I, I say, you have to say future wizard staffer because he wasn't working there yet. Oh, well, excuse me. <laughs> future wizard staffer Alejandro Arbona. Yo, wizardites. I found out Wolverine's first name. It's Cosmo. Cosmo Logan. <laughs> if you understand the Seinfeld reference there, Kramer's name what was Cosmo and he found they found out because Kramer's mother they they meet her at a restaurant and and she's yelling out oh my Cosmo it's Cosmo and they're like your name is Cosmo Kramer and that's how I came and then from then on he wanted to be called Cosmo for a little while that's a long yeah, I digression. Knew, I knew you would appreciate it. I knew you could break it down for yeah, us. Yeah, there you go. That's but that's a that's a different podcast as well. So there you go. <laughs> <Cosmo> <laughs> now, Logan, man. So here's the response. Now here's someone who obviously watches way too much TV. Start reading more comics. Schmeedle, Schmeedley, Schmedley, Schmedley. Uh, (laughs) i don't know where that originated but i feel like i've heard it somewhere hey schmetley that's not a seinfeld reference though for sure well there (laughs) you go but you know if wolverine's name had been revealed as cosmo logan you better believe that would have been a headline in (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i'm just trying something different but like to Mix it up a little bit. But anyway, I digress. Our top story tonight is an update to a rumor hinted at last issue as the headline declares Gen 13 kids set to crash Gotham, reportedly being scheduled for release as a two issue miniseries in December of 1996. This DC Wildstorm crossover would, would involve Gen 13's nemesis, Ivana. Bayul teaming up with the Joker, according to writer Brandon Choi, Jeff, a.k.a. J. Scott Campbell, expressed strong interest in drawing Batman, who has always been one of his favorite characters. We tossed the idea to DC and Denny O'Neill must have been intrigued by the idea. On the differences between Batman and Gen 13, Choi adds, my favorite analogy is that Batman is the NYPD blue, while Gen 13 is the friends of comics. Sadly, this crossover never comes to pass, despite the fact that finished promo art featuring all the characters is presented in this issue. Fun fact, um, in like Detective Comics 1025 or something like that, or 1000. 27 like the last two pages of that issue gen 13 shows up really like like a bunch of wildstorm characters and like fairchild is there grifter is there yeah 
So it's, it's a big, awesome. it's a big splash page, double, double thing. So it's pretty cool. But it makes you wonder what happened to this story. Why didn't it come out? Oh, Michael, this just in. Turns out Brian Cronin at CBR solved the mystery in 2008 during an interview with J. Scott Campbell himself, where the artist explained that he wanted to put Harley Quinn in the book, but since she hadn't yet officially been introduced to DC continuity, that was a no-go. Although the main reason the project fell apart was that, quote, we went back and forth with DC about the story for, I think, a year or something. And over that period of time, a lot of things in the story were changed. Several of my favorite scenes in the books were eventually removed entirely, such as a really great scene in which Fairchild was in the Batcave and that really funny car chase scene I mentioned earlier in which Grudge and Roxy ride along with Batman in the Batmobile. We kept being told that Batman wouldn't do that or no, they can't be there. It became more and more difficult to put Batman and Gen 13 in the same place at all. I remember joking that I wasn't going to do a crossover, but instead two totally separate stories in the same book. When I finally looked over the approved script, I just wasn't excited about it anymore. I told them that I'd much rather get on with my new Danger Girl series. That was now where my heart was. I fully expected them to go on with the story with somebody else drawing it, but that never happened. In the end, I can't help but wonder if Wildstorm also thought that the resulting plot was just too uninteresting to pursue. So there it is. DC, mucking up the works. You guys blew it. Get out a blockbuster on your hands. You gotta lighten up. It's it's weird because it's like DC is like the company of Elseworld stories that yeah. Yeah. they don't connect that often. I don't know how this would have thrown off continuity for right. Harley. They would have had nothing to do. But but this is again history's repeating itself because DC's mucking up the works today in a different way. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> so speak, speaking of like things they made a mistake on, and I had to just point this out, and it's bothered me. So I just brought Grace to see Super Pets, and I know you brought your kids to see Super Super Pets yep. too, Adam. You know what I realized? There is not one toy pajama anything coloring book anything toy related or marketing materials for this movie or these characters i couldn't find anything anywhere you need to come to canada it's all Uh, there (laughs) it's all here i was just at toys r us and there's a whole giant you guys still have toys r us oh yes yes you guys don't i forgot yes it's gone michael road trip yeah, we're going to Canada. All right. I, I was just at Toys R Us, the local Toys R Us, and there's a massive super pet section. So it's that up here crazy. in Canada, guys. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Grace is like, I want an ace puppy. And I'm like, they don't exist. Like, I, there's not a Target, that's for sure. Wow. Uh, yeah, you got to send us the pictures really of those, cool. Mike, so we could just yeah, uh, okay, next tease our I'm kids there. with My them. My kids were really into them. We haven't seen the movie yet, but uh, it, it... It's a it, cute it, movie. It, I liked it. Okay, cool. Well, in more crossover news, Top Cow Productions, no longer affiliated with Image at this time, is planning a series of crossovers with Marvel Comics in December 1996, with the setup being that Mephisto opens a portal between the two worlds and tricks the Silver Surfer into entering the Top Cow universe, leading into the Weapon Zero Silver Surfer book. Additional team-ups planned to flow from one book into the other include Ghost Rider Ballistic, Ballistic Electra, because Ballistic is everyone's favorite character, I guess, Electra Psyblade, Psyblade Wolverine, Wolverine Witchblade, and wrapping up with another Weapon Zero Silver Surfer story as the bookend. Top Cow Editor-in-Chief David Wool teases that the portal isn't going to be permanently closed at the end of the eight issues. Some of our characters may end up in Marvel's universe and vice versa. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> 
Although, you know, Mephisto's still missing from the MCU. Who knows what he could do? Well, what's you- crazy is I'm almost certain, if I remember correctly, that they did the, ex- oh, no, it was Loki. I was going to say with the Ultraverse, when Marvel, you know, bought the Ultraverse and was crossing over, but it was Loki. And I was like, oh, I thought they did Mephisto already, but no, not, not the case. Guys, <laughs> let me tell you this. I see these books in the 50 cent bins so frequently, and I cannot help but <laughs> I, I can't help but buy the Silver Surfer one thinking I don't have it and then discover I have the Silver Surfer one uh, or the Ghost Rider one. But like, <laughs> I don't know. Did was it, Did you guys enjoy these books when they came out? I, I, I had no idea until seeing this a news <laughs> announcement that this was even a thing. I, I, I have like, I've seen like some crossover stuff, but none of these. This was breaking news to me as, as of five seconds ago. So I... I... <laughs> Now, another thing here, though, get back to Gen 13. It's also announced that a spinoff title, Gen 13 Bootleg, will debut in November as a series of short story arcs or one shots produced by a variety of creative teams. Why this format? Jeff Marriott from Wildstorm explains to Wizard, quote, there have been a whole lot of people wanting to do Gen 13 stories, but at the same time, Brandon Choi and J. Scott Campbell have an extended story arc they want to tell, and we don't want people getting in the middle of it. Now, top talent that wanted to get their hands on Gen 13 can. But yeah, it did seem like, because I just remember like Gen 13 was everywhere and like guest starring in everybody's books. Like, really, everybody was just calling up Jim Lee and said, Hey, uh, can we use Gen 13? Everybody really seems to like him. You know, it's a bummer though. Like, it was all over the place, but they still couldn't get it out into the mainstream. Like, they tried to do that video game that failed. Wasn't there a cartoon they tried to do that failed also? Yep. Yeah, they tried yeah. to do the movie. It just never got released. It got shelved. Yeah. And yeah. That's a story for another day as well. Of shelved movies, by the way. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's reported that Diamond Comics Distributors has purchased Capital City Distribution, making Diamond the largest distribution company for comics. I thought they're like the only, well, one of the only, if you know, they almost have a monopoly in my mind. Their only competition is Heroes World, uh, is the exclusive source for Marvel Comics and also happens to be owned by the publisher, who is hurtling towards bankruptcy at this time. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Um, I've never heard of Heroes World. I've heard of Heroes World. I remember the magazine because it, they used yeah. to be able to get it, like to see what was coming up. Yeah, they were based out of New Jersey, I believe. And yeah, they started out as just kind of like a mail order catalog thing. Yeah. And then Marvel's like, hey, if we buy this company that has a distribution network of some sort, we could turn it into a dedicated pipeline for our comics. And- we'll be vertically integrated. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Diamond Comics distributors, the company's owner... Steve Geppi is reported to have purchased a copy of Action Comics number one for, and get this, only $61,900 at the Soulsby auction conducted in June of 1996. That is crazy, $61,000. This copy was said to be in the top 10 in terms of condition. Wow. Out of the only 50 copies total to be believed still in existence. That is, wow, that's nuts. I mean, I this is what I'm saying right here. You put that action comics right next to your amazing fantasy 15. Give Steve a call. See if he wants to trade. But this has got, <laughs> this has got to be the one that like 
Nick Cage eventually buy it for four million. I figure it's like if it's that yeah. high quality, it's got to be. Yeah, I was gonna say because he bought, didn't he, he? I presume he sold his copy since then to get out of debt too, right? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, and I don't think uh, Nicholas Cage has yeah his dinosaur bones or anything else. <laughs> yeah, uh, Wizard ran a poll for their America Online subscribers asking if they could select just three X Men titles to keep as opposed to the nine currently being published by Marvel. Which would they give a lifeline to? The big winners were Uncanny X Men, X Men, and Generation X which meant that Wolverine, X-Factor, X-Force, Excalibur, X-Men, and Cable were seen as non-essential titles by this group of readers. Oh, man. Uh, That's a lot of titles. Yeah. What would you guys uh, pick? Well, it depends. At this time... Let's do this time. Yeah. Okay. I would say X-Factor. Really? Yeah, I like the the, the character design. I don't know. You weren't a super Cable fan yet then? No, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't there yet. I did not like X-Man, I will say that. Um, <laughs> even though I do love Cable, I did not particularly like this run as much as the late early 2000s run, which is just stunning. And obviously you have to keep Uncanny and regular X-Men because of the fact that they're just so, they're like the the pa- the, the Paramount, you know, that's just like Spider-Man or Amazing Spider-Man, you know? I'd, I'd swap out Gen, Gen X with uh, Wolverine, I think, for, especially at that time period. The others were ugh, for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, I feel like with Wolverine, I almost I would have wanted to cancel that, make sure it was off the list just so he could be more special. Wolverine, don't have a dedicated <laughs> title. Just be an X-Men and don't guest star in everybody's books. Don't oversaturate <laughs> yourself, you know? Other poll topics included favorite X-Men writers with Scott Lobdell winning the vote with an overwhelming 58% and favorite X-Men artist with Andy Kubert and Joe Medjerera tying for the top spot. Yeah, so that I thought that was interesting. It's like, yep, everybody likes Scott Lobdell. He just he's writing what everybody's enjoying. Andy Kubert and Joe, like it's just like, yeah, the guys on the main books. And then what books do we want to keep? The main books. <laughs> like, don't spit <laughs> off Marvel. Like, do you get it? Do you get it now? We don't need a full X universe of books. Come on. Mini-series, maybe, but not ongoing. Speaking of ongoing, oh, this episode is gonna keep on trucking. Uh, we got our table of contents coming up now wizard 62 with an october 1996 cover date featured a j scott campbell cover speaking of that rascal which featured spawn and spider-man side by side for reasons we'll get into shortly now wizard produced a poster to promote the issue which j scott campbell actually also did the art for like original art for this promotional poster saying he was drawing the cover but they didn't reveal that until it came out on the newsstands and we have that i will post it to social media so you can see the poster it's pretty awesome now the issue came packed with a wizard lady death chrome trading card a witchblade trading card an aol subscription disc as well as a jim lee fantastic four poster it also included was a coupon for the astro city half comic from jim lee's homage studios which was the new home of kurt Busick's wonderful wonderful series so that was all uh, available in this issue but our cover story again why are spawn and spider-man sharing the cover the main event is a bit of wishful thinking on wizards part guys hoping to use their influence to will a spider-man and spawn crossover into existence the issue also features a bit of false advertising on the poly bag itself with text declaring spawn spidey why it will happen which it doesn't 
Uh, basically, Scott Beatty, who wrote this article, gives the pros, mostly without the cons, of why Marvel and Todd McFarlane should sign the deal ASAP. The main argument for the crossover is that, quote, quite simply, fans want to see it more so than any Marvel versus DC or X-Men Wildcats collaboration. It's the ultimate no brainer. Makes you wonder how Jim Lee felt about that last statement, though, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Nobody likes Wildcats, X-Men. Ah. <laughs> Beatty also declares that, quote, since the ill-conceived spider clone storyline over the past year and a half, sales on all the spider books have plummeted. So he posits, based on the suggestion from the owner of Golden Apple Comics, that, quote, Spawn Spidey could be the one deciding factor that puts Spidey back on top. The main obstacle, of course, that's discussed here is Todd McFarlane's reluctance to work with Marvel Comics again. Wizard tries to find hope, though, in a quote from Todd, where he says... If Image collapsed, I'd try to call in every favor from every industry that I've ever worked with. And if they all slammed the door in my face, if I had no choice, then I'd go, well, it's time to eat some crow. But I've got too many opportunities right now. Wow. As we know, Todd's opportunities only continue to grow over the years, his toy empire and his comics. So he never had to come crawling back to Marvel. And to this day, no Spider-Man spawn crossover. Unless you can't one cover. <laughs> that's a, that's a quite a flex statement though you could say yeah you know basically if i'm really broke i i'll come back he recently did a cover of overstreet price guide with spidey and spawn on it i think yeah that, that's what i'm saying he'll draw them together he's like these are my two most popular characters i've known for drawing but it's like no full story nothing yeah but speaking of a full story, Wizard, again, just trying to get everything in place, like we're giving it to you, please just make it happen. They have a pick a plot sidebar in which they provide four potential plots to facilitate the crossover between the webhead and the hamburger faced ruler of the alley. So I have to ask you guys, seeing this here, which of these plots would you have picked or do you have one to pitch yourself? <laughs> Well, I'll let our guests go first because I want to preface by saying Adam sent this to me at like 4.30 in the afternoon. He's like, you must read this. And I'm like, I must go pick up my kids from school, then cook their dinner, <laughs> then put them to bed. I will try. And I saw pick a plot, A, B, C, and D. And I was like, well, I'll skim it a little bit. <laughs> You're like, C is always the right answer. On every multiple choice. You betcha. <laughs> what do you think, Mike? You know, the one where it's like a spawn venom hybrid, that kind of got me. Especially at the time, I think I would have really dug that. And, you know, Venom's always so popular. Uh, you yeah, that, that is kind of a cool idea because yeah. when you think about it, yeah, the Spawn suit is a symbiote and Venom, you know, is a symbiote as well. So it, it works really well. Yeah, that's a good one. The same goes for D, the last one with Carnage, the Carnage spawn. That was kind of cool. I mean, again, I'm kind of just skimming this quickly. I do kind of like the the D idea of like the, I think Carnage kind of translates better into the spawn universe because there's so many demons and weird versions of spawn. I don't know. That's kind of cool. Yeah, so I'm going to read that one then since that seems to be the favorite. So it says, after a battle with the Redeemer, a weakened spawn is attacked by the Carnage symbiote after escaping confinement, minus Cletus Cassidy. Taken by surprise, the spawn symbiote is forced off of Al Simmons, but not before hearing of the Carnage symbiote's hatred for Spider-Man and of its multiple defeats at his hand. The spawn symbiote goes in search of the one man who can help, Spidey. After a brief tussle, the spawn symbiote bonds with Spidey, explains all that has transpired and fully bonds with him. Can Spidey 
spider spawn put an end to the rampage of terror that carnage spawn is spreading across new york that's pretty awesome spidey spawn come on <laughs> that would be pretty cool uh, we'll post these to social media so you guys can all tell us which one uh you would have picked chains shooting out of his wrist instead of webs to be kind of neat <laughs> All right. Now, finally, the last thing here, Wizard is just, they're, they're begging. They're begging. They make a final plea with another tiny sidebar titled, If You Send It, They Will Team, basically declaring that if Marvel and Todd get enough letters for potential readers slash buyers, they will make it happen. Sometimes Wizard just too blatant in trying to influence the market, right? <laughs> it, it's kind of funny you say if they if you send it they will team because literally the night we're recording this is the field of dreams game in baseball and if they've been promoting the if you build it they will come uh, iowa thing it's kind of funny it's just weird I, I, irony that we're recording this tonight and the game is on right now so yeah just putting that out there for all you baseball fans out there so <laughs> they're like this is we're talking about comics we don't talk about those bats and balls and gloves and guys exercising and being fit and healthy yeah not us here I'm rambling again. You can cut that off. <laughs> Get us back to those comics, Michael. <laughs> okay. All right. In a wizard special report, 10 years later is a look back at Watchmen from the 1996 perspective of artist Dave Gibbons and writer Alan Moore. That's kind of cool. This is kind of exciting. Gibbons declares of the final product, I wouldn't change anything. While Moore states, it still holds up for me. In terms of what I wanted to do with it, I think it exceeded my expectations. But ever the party pooper, which he always, he still is, <laughs> Moore also gives readers who revere this era of comics a reality check. Everyone talked about a comics renaissance with Batman, The Dark Knight Returns, Mouse, and Watchmen, but there wasn't any renaissance. It was just three or four blokes doing good books. It was no bigger than that. <laughs> so basically, nobody was doing good work. We were doing good work. They didn't improve the industry in any way based on- Everything else was a dumpster fire. <laughs> My stuff was Bible, and that's it. There you go, folks. What do you guys think about the impacts of Watchmen on comic books in the decades that followed? Has it made comics better or worse? Mike, do you have an opinion on this and what you're finding in those back issue bins? I think I think it made it better, but I don't think you see the effects of it in the 90s. I think like you do, you see traces of it in image and valiant, but I really think it's in the early 2000s that you really start to see the impact of those books. I, it, I think it took all of the 90s and the image creators to really push it the you know dc and marvel into new territory in the early 2000s that that's my well, that, that's what i find funny yeah because it's like the 90s creators when they read watchmen and dark Knight returns they're like violence yeah violence and so they just did a bunch of violent books you know yes. and they, they didn't they didn't look at like the storytelling aspect the deconstruction of the characters all of that and that's definitely the 2000s you know yeah when you get i people, i agree yeah, yeah it totally because you know, if, if you think about it, you know, in, in a particular comic like Watchmen, when you've got like a page that's got like nine tiny panels and it lets it sort of breathe and, and you see certain things happening, that isn't really there as much in the 90s. But in that like 2005 to like 2009 era, you start really seeing that kind of thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, because it makes me think of stuff like, you know, Ex Machina and like they just those uh, Brian K. Vaughn books. I feel like a lot of that kind of has some influence 
not not from like oh we're gonna take it all down and break it to pieces but like a real different perspective on characters in comic books another big uh, so uh, better for the most part but Another big one that I think is a real good reflection of the impact Watchmen had is DC's identity crisis. Yeah, I was mm. thinking the same thing. I was yeah. thinking exactly that. So that's where I feel like like Marvel and DC were pushed to those those limits to deconstruct their own characters. Yeah, finally. because it's not like a big all out battle at the end. It's just sort of like an emotional gut punch. And you're just like, wow, like that was a story. Like it wasn't just like just action and violence and whatever. It was just like, wow, that was a story. And that's kind of a cool thing, in my opinion. Yeah, but uh, action and violence were definitely making a little bit of headlines in some writer's book. So Mike, why don't you tell us about this next piece? Uh, the Wizard Q&A with Garth Ennis is an attempt to get inside the twisted brain of the man who created Preacher, Hitman, and was writing The Darkness, among many other titles. But it turns out he's not as insane as his writing would seem to suggest. Regarding the imagined dangers of reading his work in Preacher, Ennis remarks, If the book affected behavior, we would now have 50,000 more lunatics in the world running around killing people and shooting each other's faces off. On whether or not they have had any controversy, with the book's content, and as clarifies, well, we haven't had too much trouble. People who don't like the book tend to drop it pretty quickly when asked if being Irish affects his writing of certain characters like Cassidy from Preacher. Ennis reveals, yeah, I think it does inevitably. There's the whole hedonistic, eternal partygoer element to, to Cassidy's character, which I don't think anyone will deny has always been a strong part of Irish identity. A sidebar reveals just how in demand Ennis was as a writer, where we learn that in addition to Preacher, Hitman, and The Darkness, he was also writing Wildcats, The Unknown Soldier, Enemy Ace, Pride and Joy, Bloody Mary, and finally Preacher, the story of you-know-who one-shot, about which Ennis reveals they wouldn't let us use arseface in the title. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ennis just writes, 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 writes. And I do love his little, you know, stroking of his own ego. He's like, when he talks about 50,000 more lunatics in the world, basically like citing his sales numbers. He's oh like, my- yeah. There's no way 50,000 comic book collectors are actually reading the comics. <laughs> I would say, like, <laughs> Maybe 10,000 of them will read it. (laughs) But I have to ask you, Mike, because, you know, last time you were on, you were talking about your love of horror comics and you love to seek those out when you can. So do you like the darker, like supernatural style stories that Ennis presents? Uh, This era is when, especially like superhero stuff, I I wasn't really collecting except for Spider-Man and I think Silver Surfer and Hulk a bit. But, you know... I have to say Ennis is definitely a blind spot for me. You know, I've read Punisher from him and I've read uh, The Boys, but otherwise, oh, in Darkness. Darkness was on my pull list at the time. That was the one comic I was reading um, and I was obsessed with that in Spawn. But um, yeah, he's a bit of a blind spot for me. I don't know about you guys. Have you read a lot of Ennis? Yeah, we, we've talked about it in the past. Michael got a little bit into Preacher, but not much. Didn't get too far. I tried Preacher. I couldn't get into it. Since the show, The Boys has come out, I have you know read a couple of, I think, the, the first trade, and I did like that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I know of his work. I, if I saw a cover, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. But I couldn't say a lot of them that I've read. I don't know. To, to me, I guess what I like about Ennis when I read his stuff, and I've only gone back now for the show really to read his work. He's just a more nuanced version of Mark Miller. Ennis is 
shocking, but somehow it feels justified in the characterizations. I never feel Mark Miller's uh, characterizations justify the the carnage that he puts into his stuff and the just sick, twisted things he likes to write in. So that's why I would always pick Ennis over Miller any day. But here's another interesting kind of twist on things that was happening at the time because, you know, Valiant was very popular in the early days of Wizard. You know, Valiant and Image, their two favorite publishers. But with a little help from my friends is a report from the first story conference of the new team of writers at Acclaim Comics who were rebooting the Valiant universe of characters under the leadership of Fabian Nucieza. So for the record, this crew included big names like Mark Wade, Kurt Busiek, Christopher Priest, Len Kaminsky, Brian Augustine, Kevin McGuire, and wouldn't you know it, Garth Ennis, uh, who they said was not present for the event because he was living in Ireland. But the titles getting a revamp included Exo Manowar, Shadow Man, Solar Man of the Atom, Turok, Bloodshot, Magnus, Eternal Warrior, and Ninjak. And then new titles created for this launch included Troublemakers, about a group of tween heroes, Trinity Angels, as their entry into the bad girl cheesecake fad. And finally, Quantum and Woody, that I've praised many times about a humorous, bickering, heroic duo. So now I have to ask this, did any of these titles catch your attention in 1996, Mike? Or have you picked them up recently and added them to your collection? I finally found uh, Quantum and Woody in a 50 cent bin, the first issue. And I picked it up for you, but I, I have not read it. Because oh, you gotta read it. it. It's so good. <laughs> I still have my original. Otherwise, I kind of ignore all this stuff. I, like, to be completely honest, I just don't. This is why I like you. This is why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the early, early uh, Solar and Exo stuff, like like when Valiant first started, I'll grab like the first few issues, like or Harbinger, the first few I got out of 50 something, but that's it. I, I won't go. T- I won't do this. Yeah, I mean, I, I've mentioned many times, you know, Quantum and Woody is the only book in here that I ever felt was worth anything. And I bought the first issue of Exo Manowar and didn't like where it was going. So I, I didn't continue. I liked, you know, it, it was just totally off from a guy gets abducted in ancient times and is put into our modern world. So he's a barbarian, but with high tech armor, like that's a great premise. And then in the new version, basically all they did was say, oh, well, there's this, you know, armor that the government has gotten a hold of and there's a super smart guy who has figured out, you know, how to uh, you know, work the armor and then he, had, you know, through a series of events gets bonded to it. But it was just, there was no twist. It was just like, oh, you know, modern day sci-fi. That's not fun. Give me some history. Yeah. But I did I did go back and read some of these this week just to kind of check them out and be like, well, what about this Ninjack where the kid is basically Captain Marvel, but he turns into a video game ninja? No. (laughs) What about Turok where he's, you know, a a cool college guy who has a pouch where he could pull out any number of weapons of ancient mystical origin? Mm. That just sounds dirty. Yeah. I will say Troublemakers, I read that, and it's kind of like, what if Power Pack was revamped for the 90s? That's what that is. It's not that great. So yeah, unfortunately, like a lot of these lasted a while. At least they kept bankrolling it. But I, I, I don't know that these are anybody's favorites, despite like the talent that we listed there. Everybody who's involved is kind of like, whoa, but still couldn't quite do it. Um, now, the one thing I will say, though, is as far as what they were trying to accomplish, I want to get your takes on these. They had 
basically some ideas about, okay, will the acclaimed value universe operate in real time or on comic book time? Kurt Busiek calls it specifically fake time. Will there be real world religions mentioned in the books or just made up faiths? Uh, will they use real world science or is magic a possibility? And will there be crossovers between the characters? Is that required? So on any one of those topics, do you guys have strong feelings when you're reading comics and they try to tweak or you know, God, one side or the other of those questions that it upsets you, or you always say, Oh, no, it, it should be this way. I prefer this. You're telling me I magic's just... not real, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go I ahead, just, Mike. Sorry. I, I, no, I, I just want a good story. I really don't care. I, I, my, I hate, you know, I, I read a lot of comics and I buy a lot of comics, and I get nothing frustrates me more than buying, you know, like I, I in addition to buying 50 cent comics, I will buy, I have a pull is still and when i spend four dollars or five dollars on a book and it's not even a like even even the opening of story it's just like shit happening and nothing makes me angrier it, it like i that's all i care about put in whatever religion fake real just make the story be good please i'm paying yeah. four dollars i know because otherwise you're going to set the book on fire um yeah <laughs> I will say, you know, one of the biggest things in in cinema, for example, is the idea of as a writer and a storyteller to suspend your disbelief, like the audience's disbelief. You know, that's why we believe in Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and all these kind of things. If a comic book, whatever they want to say about a faith or magic or science or made up stuff, if they can make the audience believe that in this world that's real, they got you. That's good. It's important. Yeah, I mean, the only thing for me that has always been a question is that comic book time, the compressed time type mm. thing, right? And, and like, I, I always am interested, like the idea of, oh yeah, wouldn't it be cool to watch a character evolve each year, they get a year older, all of those things. But it's like, I, I feel like at least according to Joe Casada, nobody wanted that. That's why you have to get rid of married Spider-Man. That's why you have to get rid of, you know, <laughs> approaching middle-aged Spider-Man and take him back to his roots and then... The ultimate Spider-Man is more popular because he's a teenager again and all that kind of stuff. So I guess like we kind of like the character in their best form and you lock them in that time frame. <laughs> that is I, what we want. See, I disagree. I disagree okay. because I like like 30 something Spider-Man because it showcases how he's evolved as a leader and coping with all of his loss and pain. And, and you know, it's just like everyone says. We're all sick of seeing the Batman origin story. We're all sick of seeing the Peter Parker origin story. But are I want we to sick see... of seeing neurotic Spider-Man? Shouldn't he have gotten over it by the time he's 30? And he's still worried <laughs> about his teenage problems. And he's still, ah. <laughs> Yeah, I get, I get that. You know, I don't know. It's complicated, but I, I, it is. I think, and I, I and most think, people don't get over those things you know, as, as I, much I do, as we like to believe. I, <laughs> I, I think the ultimate universe, though, was smart, right? Because then it could bring in the new readers who have an expectation coming in. Like people who don't read comics have an expectation of who each character is. And you jump in and all of a sudden it's like, what, Spider-Man's 40 and he's married? What the hell? <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, here's the thing. What you said at the top, Mike, just 
just make it a good story is ultimately what Nucieza just lands on as the editor-in-chief because they accomplish nothing concrete. They just leave everything up to each individual creative team to do what they think is best for their book. That's what it comes down to. It's interesting, though, to justify his seemingly wishy-washy leadership style, uh, Nucieza states, quote, exactly what we needed to do was to share with each other. I feel best about building enthusiasm for each other's books, about sharing their characters. They all get to play in a sandbox where they're excited to be in. So he's basically like, yeah, we just needed to talk. Everybody just needed to say, yes, I have an idea. I needed to know they were going somewhere <laughs> with their books. And so, yeah, so that's kind of ultimately his goal was just to create a team, but they don't have to, you know, set anything in stone. So there you go. And if you enjoyed the acclaimed Valiant Universe out there, if you like these reboots, we want to hear about it. So hit us up on social media. Okay, and our next article is Turning Japanese is an exploration in the influence of Japanese manga on American comic book creators. Wizard just interviews the same group of artists who have already commented on the same topic in recent issues. So we're going to skip this because it seems like it's just... They, they just keep repeating over and over again the same stuff. It's like, yeah, J. Scott Campbell likes Masamuni Shiro. Okay. Yes. So does Joe Mad. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, we yeah. get it. We get it. So instead, we're going to talk about a bonkers article titled King Fanboy. <laughs> Profiling a guy named Jeffrey Patterson, who who has painted superheroes on the outside of his suburban home and gotten a Captain Marvel lightning bolt tattooed on his chest. Wow. Okay. Explaining what made him take his fandom so far, Patterson reveals that he got into a nearly fatal car wreck. And as his life flashed before his eyes, all I can think of was the comics I had bought a few days earlier and that I would never get to read them. (laughs) My life flashed before my eyes and I thought, damn, I'm going to miss Gen 13. (laughs) All right. Okay. He and his wife were, were even married in superhero costumes. Wow, that's way they're way ahead of their time on that one. Yeah. <laughs> By a preacher dressed in a Captain Midnight costume after starting their romance in a comic book store. The 55-year-old gray-haired Patterson closes the interview by describing the mother of his three children. She's young and sexy. To me, she's a comic book character come to life. <laughs> I remember reading about that guy and how he had those painted walls and thinking, man, this guy has the best life ever. This is what <laughs> I want. As an- this guy's <laughs> living the dream, man. Living, living the dream. dream. <laughs> he had a swimming pool. Everyone, yep. you know, his whole family wears superhero outfits all day long. And now I'm just like, oh, don't let that become me. <laughs> well, what I thought was funny in the article, I'll just mention this, is that he says that the wife that's featured in that article is his second wife. I'm almost certain when he told the story about, I just couldn't think of anything but the comics I was going to miss out on. His wife's like, okay, well, this is over. I'll see you later. <laughs> well, it's also, he, he made it specifically to say that his young wife, like young, he, sexy wife. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I landed me a whale here, baby. I got a good one. She likes comics. She's going to wear costumes. That's all that matters. She's letting me paint my house like a maniac. It's fantastic. <laughs> Creepy misogyny aside, if you guys 
could add a piece of comic book based architecture or interior design to your home with your wife's blessing, what would it be? <laughs> That's the caveat, right? Adam, I'll let you go first on this one. I am fascinated what you think Kristen would allow you to do. I know. Well, that, that's the thing, right? It's like, uh, I'm trying to think what superhero or comic book character has the best sense of style, right? Where she's like, okay, I guess nobody else would know but you that this is related, you know, to to some sort of comic book. But like, but also like, what what is, you know, the comic building or clubhouse or, you know, place I want to be? Um, and I honestly, for me, I want the sanctum from the shadow movie from 1994 that's what i want i want i want to have the moving brick wall i want to go down i want to have my you know my lounge just to hang out in like that i i want that so if, if i could build it because it's it's super classy so she couldn't complain i'd be like dear look at the value we've added to our home <laughs> mike what do you got what are you thinking all I really want is just a room for my comics. Right now, they're just shoved into this kind of... Do what I do. Box. Build yourself a new house. Oh my <laughs> God. In Toronto, you want me to build a new house? Oh, God. It's uh, it's crazy. Well, I will t- I'll tell you. Here's a fun fact, right? So I just turned 40 last month, and one of my closest friends and my wife were trying desperately to find something that was released a couple of years ago. Do you remember when they released the Batman 66 uh, Shakespeare uh, flip top head piggy bank with a push button thing? So my buddy was trying to find one and now they're going on eBay and Amazon and everything for like $400. But he wanted to get it because he's a computer programmer and he's like, we could program the button inside the head to open your garage door. (laughs) and and i was like and you didn't buy this thing for me he's like it was four hundred dollars i don't like you that much (laughs) 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 but we were gonna do it if if we could find it i still will if i could find it for a good enough price we'll open it up we'll program the button to do something in my house like open my office doors or open the garage or something like that and make it like a, a smart device well, maybe, Michael, when you sell UFO Club and you and Steven get your royalties from a streaming service, then you'll have that 400 bucks in hand to buy your Shakespeare. That would be glorious. But my wife will take it and put it towards our house. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you could just put up a movie screen in your house and just have a, a projector room. So, Michael, why don't you take us into the comic book and movie news with Heroes in Motion. The official formation of Marvel Studios is announced in this issue. Really? As Wizard reports that Marvel Entertainment Group and Toy Biz have each contributed $50 million to create an entity which will oversee the production of live action and animated feature films starring Marvel comic book characters. Wow. So that's when it was really formed was Marvel Studios. Can you believe that? Yeah, that it was 96. That's wild. That's, that's crazy. Our old pal Avi Arad will be the head of Marvel Studios, whose first order of business will be to produce four new animated series for the Fox Children's Network, which is down from the projected 
20 new shows announced in the last issue. Yeah, oh, it feels like they were they were overshooting there. There's something yeah, really. wrong over the phone. <laughs> over the next 20 years, we'll make four cartoon shows. You'll see. <laughs> it's reported that Taco Bell has reclaimed the license for the Batman movie franchise to be promoted through their 7,000 restaurants nationwide when Batman and Robin hits theaters in 1997. Oh, boy. This a, <laughs> it's like McDonald's so the screen they're like we don't want this movie yeah. you can have Taco Bell there you go we say reclaimed because Taco Bell had Batman collector cups and branded cinnamon twist bags for the Tim Burton film in 1989 then lost the license to McDonald's for the two subsequent movies so let me ask you guys a question do you have a favorite superhero themed kids meal toy or fast food promotion oh i have so many you know i still have a I was gonna box. say yeah there's been a lot over the years yeah I, I have a box still with just my happy meal toys in it and i gotta say I, I think batman returns would be my favorite for sure or um spider-man the animated series had some good ones as well yeah those are pretty great Oh really? I don't remember those. Um, oh no! They, they had they had an actual Mary Jane toy you could get. Yeah. I think that was oh, the wow. first Mary Jane action figure was I, technically in that was. Happy Meal. And then they had a transforming Peter Parker where the head flipped to like the Spider Sense head. I remember that. I remember that yeah. figure. Yeah. The thing that's funny about the Mary Jane is her like action fe- feature is like changing her dress. <laughs> <laughs> We're going from day to night, guys. Here we go. (laughs) I don't know if it's really classified as a Happy Meal toy, but that Batman Forever, those glass mugs, man. Oh, those are the best. Like, I still have the Tommy Lee Jones one with a coin handle. Oh, it was Oh, those, those yeah. are great. My my kids use that at my at my mom's house still. That's like my daughter's favorite mug. <laughs> the oh. coin one with two oh, face on it. The best mug. I still have it. I have actually all of my like Green Lantern and various lantern rings inside of it. And Grace always goes into it and takes oh, that mug is cool, but don't touch the mug. You're going to break it, please. Yeah. I mean, I, I only had the Riddler one for all these years. I just got from my dad's house, but just today, one of the members of the retro network reached out to me, and Gary, shout out to you. And he's like, Hey dude, I have a full set of the Batman forever glasses. You want them? Just, I'll just set them to you. They need a good one. I'm like, I accept. Thank you. <laughs> Plus he's he's like, also I have over, a thousand comics in my basement i'm sending you the list tell me what you want so the archives are going to continue to grow over here michael (laughs) (laughs) you got to be obsessed with something i as far as with my uh side of the fast food promotions i remember hardy's had these marvel superheroes ones back in the day that had there was like a she hulk in a convertible and there was a spider-man like they all had cars but the one that was my favorite was the burger king superpowers cut and oh. I love those figures that held the cups. I have a full set over here. Oh, and yeah. I, I remember remember those? I only had Dark Side, but uh, man, that was an awesome cup. I, yeah, I like I, I, I had like my original Superman and Wonder Woman all these years and they're kind of beat up. And I just was uh, traveling and stopped in an antique store and picked up a, like a brand spanking new, beautiful Superman for like five bucks. So I was like, oh, okay, you, you need to post a picture of those. I, I got I will that. do this. <laughs> all oh, right, Michael, I, what, what else? What other news we got here? Sorry, we were talking about toys and Happy Meals <laughs> and I got lost in, in the sauce there. Um, 
comic book veteran Len Wein reveals that he has written an episode for the last season of the X-Men, the animated series that teams up Wolverine and Captain America in World War II called Old Soldiers. Ween has also written episodes of Spider-Man featuring Venom, The Incredible Hulk featuring Sasquatch from Alpha Flight, as well as two episodes of both Street Fighter and a personal favorite of mine, gargoyles which i just saw on disney plus and i'm like yes gargoyles i will be watching this again on the train fantastic show i don't do you remember old soldiers on, on that x-men oh, yeah, i've seen that episode yeah huh. it's, it's pretty good the animation's not great because it was later seasons of yeah. x-men but but it's still a cool story it, it blew my mind when it came out though Man. yeah seeing cap and Wolvie together like, i remember when they did like the secret wars thing on the on the animated spider-man show but i forgot captain america showed up on the x-men show too exciting news for jim carrey fans the mask and ace ventura pet detective cartoons on cbs will feature a crossover between the two characters though not voiced by superstar comedian the mask was voiced by rob paulson aka Raphael from the teenage mutant ninja turtles and pinky from animaniacs while ace ventura was voiced by matt frewer who who did his best jim carrey impression in the generation x tv movie oh this guy yes <laughs> Yes, he's really, he was leaning into that, like, Filer Marshall Bill, Jim Carrey kind of version that he had. If they couldn't get Jim Carrey, you get him, right? Yeah, really. And finally, we have a Kingdom Come casting call. So, as always, I'm looking through this, and many of which of these selections I hate. (laughs) Well, it's hard, right? Because it's like it's older superheroes. So you have to cast older actors who can play the geriatric DC <laughs> heroes. Yeah. yeah, Linda Carter, though, that that makes perfect sense. That's a great choice there. Yeah, fine. yeah so that's kind of like the number one, right? Linda Carter, just let her be an older Wonder Woman because she's technically an older Wonder Woman. Even yeah. today, she still looks great. And- yeah, Anna true. Nicole Smith as Power Girl makes total sense for the chest. <laughs> not not to number one fan of Power Girl, Michael. He's not happy about that. Boo! <laughs> well, Boo. The acting, the acting would be rough, but but yeah, but, <laughs> but like they they had an easy get in Pamela Anderson there. That would have been much easier. You think Pamela Anderson is Power Girl over Anna Nicole Smith? Yes. <laughs> oh, I was just trying to think of a, a tough actress of the era. They could just stuff her bra, you know, like, oh, you know, who would be Renee good Russo actually, or something. No, you know, who would be good. Christy Swanson. Mm, oh. I could see that. Didn't she play Buffy the Vampire Slayer? And, you yeah. know. So. You know who I was actually thinking of for Power Girl? We're getting caught up on this. But, you know, uh, is uh, the actress from who you know left Star Trek The Next Generation after one season? Do you know who I'm talking about? And she was in Pet Cemetery. Denise Crosby? Is it that? Yeah, Denise Crosby. Yeah, okay, so she, I can see that. I mean, she, yeah, because she's yeah. just like so tough. And Power Girl's such a tough character. You know, it just yeah. feels like it would work out pretty well. So, but what do you think about for Superman there? An old TV actor. Robert Urich? I don't know, man. I mean, honestly, what would be really kind of smart is if, you know, they, they really dropped the ball on, on one of these, but I'm going to come back to, but I don't know, Robert Urich. There's so many other actors I could think of. Well, again, would... why, if you're going Linda Carter, why are you not going to just put Christopher Reeven as the older? Yes. Superman? 
Just yes. do it. Was he paralyzed by then, though? Oh, that's right. It just happened. Oh, that's oh. why. Oh. Your only choice was Dean Kane or one of the two guys who played Superboy. Because <laughs> oh, George, no, George Reeve was dead. Honestly, you know who would probably have been a cool older Superman if he would dye his hair? Be like a Robert Redford kind of thing. Ooh, that would have been cool. Yeah. You know, he could play the troubled Superman for yeah. sure. They really dropped the ball on the Batman, even though I love Gregory Peck. Don't get me wrong. He's a brilliant actor. But like this would have been your opportunity to give Adam West an older Batman. Yes. It looks like Adam West. It looks like old Adam West in yeah. Kingdom Come. I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> put that. I know, but but Wizard was kind of like anti Adam West at this point. They had made some kind of like mean jokes at his expense, even after interviewing him. Because they, they want gritty. Him. They want all the grittiness. Yeah. Yeah. Of the nineties. So next we have up is Ken Wall from the show Wise Guy as Captain Marvel. I don't know. This guy's. I, I would. I would say no on that one. Um, I, I was trying to think of like, was there a beefcake actor at the time who kind of played innocent? You know what I'm saying? Like, just like a nice guy, but a tough guy. And I, I was trying to think. I mean, just because I love him in everything, but you know, the guy who played Thor in The Incredible Hulk Returns, and he was Little John and Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> I yes. think he would have been really fun. He, all he has to do, he just dyes his hair black. And I think he actually looks a little bit like the Captain Marvel in this. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you that. Sure. That sounds, yeah. Fire. <laughs> okay. For Aquaman, they have an actor named Richard Harris from The Field. I don't know who this actor is. I don't know who that movie is either. Um, well, they're picking uh, like more recent movies and TV shows and stuff, I think. But he is Richard Harris is like a very classical, like British actor, you know, so he, he was in all like the more of like the 60s type movies where he was like the heartthrob kind of guy. So, OK, fine, whatever. I guess, you know, it's virile and regal, and whatever. OK, now for Green Lantern, they have Robert Conrad. I'm like. Really? You know what would have been great for this particular version of Green Lantern? Clint Eastwood. A great really? Oh, I think so. Because he's just so gruff. And and this this Green Lantern would be such a like a like a breakaway for that kind of version of Clint Eastwood. And just this like real brave kind of I don't know. I just love this. Yeah, look I mean, that, that's awesome. I I just could never imagine Clint Eastwood in oh, a never. superhero costume at all. No. <laughs> But, but you know who does like they, they hit the nail on the head. I feel like with Sean Connery as Oliver Queen as the Green yeah. Arrow, I think he would have the swagger. He would be great. Yeah, he would be spot on. It's, it's a very good pick. Yeah, that, that's a good one. I would say. I mean, minus the accent. But what are you going to do? Yeah. All he has to do is hide that accent is what they said. <laughs> The next one you have is the Spectre. This makes no sense. They're just using a picture of Spock from what, Star Trek 4? To, yes. <laughs> to yeah, because he has the hood on. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, they're saying Leonard Nimoy as the Spectre. And I'm like, really? Like, really? This is the best you can come up with. If it were me, if I had to pick a character to play or an actor to play the Spectre at this time, you'd want somebody really regal, like a like a Cary Grant or like a Sidney Pontier and just kind of like this real kind of like, like almost 
he comes on screen and takes your breath away. It's like, oh my God, it's Sidney Pontier in a superhero movie kind of thing, you know? I mean, I, I could see that, but you know, when I read Kingdom Come and when they showed the Spectre, because they had like a brief, at, you know, at the very end of the story, you know, when he changes back into his human form yeah. as like the cop and he like kind of walks away. I always thought of David Caruso. You know, he's on NYPD Blue at this point, but I feel like he was known for being a little bit more animated, but I'm sure he could have brought it down and, and done it. But I don't know. That's just me. Did, did you I ever see say- that movie with him and Nicolas Cage, Kiss of Death? He's like a gruff, like ex con, and he's fighting <laughs> after Nicolas Cage. It's, it's oh, it's a terrible movie, but it's like he just he can't escape that like Brooklyn dialect. <laughs> Yeah, well, but that's what I'm saying. If the Spectre was a New York cop, then it just makes sense that you get somebody who's been playing a New York cop to do the role. But what do I know? Uh, I might be wrong. Maybe he was a Chicago cop. I can't remember the origin city of the Spectre. But Michael, I got to ask you about the next one, because for Magog, you know, the villain or the the 90s hero that sends all the, you know, the classic heroes away. They want this guy, Richard Berg from the Sentinel. Don't know him. But when I see Magog, all I ever see is Bruce Willis. What do you oh, think? Bruce Willis would be great. But Bruce Willis would have to have like Schwarzenegger's build is the thing. Like, <laughs> I, you know who I could honestly see, even though he's not that great of an actor, it would be like a Dolph Lundgren in that character. Okay. Yeah. Because you don't really have to have like too much of a personality for Magog. Yeah. yeah it's just, just gotta violence. Be big, broad brawler. Now, the last two down here, we have that Reverend uh, Norman McKay, who is sort of like linked to the Spectre in this. And they have Christopher Plummer of Star Trek Six. Is that or is that four? Is that yep, six? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, why? Because he's got a gruff beard on his on his face. Yeah, his I mean, the picture. picture they chose of him, he looks kind of like disheveled and drunk. homeless. Like, <laughs> he's like, he doesn't look like a Reverend, you know? <laughs> you know, so. like. You, you could almost do somebody I'm trying to think at this time who would look of that age. Yeah, because it has I mean, to be somebody who's really like just almost kind of timid and just kind of like, where are you taking me, Spectre? What are you showing you me? Know, you know, very you know who would be kind of cool? Who's come up in other issues in the past? The dad from Frasier. Yeah, that John Mahoney. That's I was <laughs> it, thinking of that too. Yeah. <laughs> He's on our brain. We Yes. Yeah. And last but not least, Lex Luthor. And what they say here is, geez, this rendition of Lex screams hard ass. And if there's one thing, Lawrence Tierney, is it yep. Tierney? Yeah. Yep. From Reservoir Dogs has proven is that he's a hard ass, basically. He's a bald dude. Um, I don't Do you know. know this actor other than uh, Reservoir Dogs where he's appeared? Yeah, he's a character actor. He pops up all the time. I've always looked at like Michael Chiklis, like from The Shield. As a you great, be a good Luther, yeah, yeah. Although yeah. I love this guy because he you know, he's he's from The Simpsons. He was in that episode where Bart steals Bone Storm. He's like a catfish, <laughs> you know. He, he just has that real gruff voice. He talks like this. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I, only I don't you pull Luther, that reference. Though. Yeah, I don't see it. <laughs> Anywho, and that's our casting call for Kingdom Come. That got me really hyped for a Kingdom Come movie, but. Adam, what do we got in Jim and Todd's hype machine? All right. Look at this guy. You're welcome. (laughs) 
interesting here, the wizard staff confesses to a heist at the San Diego Comic-Con 1996 involving Jim Lee. Okay, so here's what they have to say. We're thieves! Thieves! We're going to hell. It all started this past July 4th when the annual San Diego Comic-Con rolled around yet again. A wizard strike team, Brian Cunningham, Scott Grambling, Andrew Carden, Scott Beatty, Buddy Scalarian, and Jim McLaughlin was assembled and shipped as freight to sunny California to meet the fans, BS with other companies, and see how much we could drink before being pronounced dead. Aside from the usual blurly remembered chaos that normally occurs during these outings, the highlight of the trip was Scott Grambling's odyssey that started with eating a two-day-old leftover cheese platter from the Chromium graphics party, which led to sneaking into Jim Lee's hotel suite while Jim was off playing poker, slipping into the artist's hot tub in his Winnipeg Jets boxers, seeing Buddy in red bikini briefs, and failing to score with a spokesmodel. The adventure wrapped up with Scott emptying a hotel minibar of beer and stealing Lee's bathrobe. Quote, my only regret is that I ate all that cheese, a grimace and grambling noted. I can't crap. <laughs> I was going to say he, did, he learned that he was lactose intolerant and just started gassing up the place. <laughs> <laughs> but the bottom line is they totally stole Jim Lee's bathroom. This was told, uh, I believe, in several episodes of The Wizard Files. I think Buddy Scalera was maybe the first to uh, lay out the whole breakdown of what happened there. So if you want some of the details, you can go back in the archives. But I just find that hilarious because later on, they auctioned off Jim Lee's pants. So they're just uh, they're all about stealing clothing from Jim Lee. And despite that theft, though, there's also an ad opposite that story in this issue for the Jim Lee special, which we will be covering in the near future. So stay tuned for that. Uh, But we got to get into some McFarland toys news here because Todd wants his moment in the spotlight. There are a ton of new Spawn figures being released, including Spawn 3 with a cloth cape, Wolf Spawn, Zombie Spawn with Chainsaw and Sawed-Off Shotgun, Mutant Spawn. Previously, they wanted to call it Chameleon Spawn, but they couldn't get the color change action to work. So now he's just Mutant Spawn. Also, Detective Sam and Twitch are both getting figures. Now, additionally, there is a strange character called Psycho Bum, (laughs) which is described as including, quote, a weed whacker, jackhammer, switchblade, and a corn boy tattoo, about which they say, don't ask. But I I went looking on eBay because I was just like, did this figure ever come out? Psycho bum. That feels like that would not go over well, I guess. You know, like, and they didn't think so either. So I consulted our buddy Ty over uh, at the Spawn Archives, right? You know, he is our Spawn expert. And he said, yes, it was released, but it came out under a different name. He was called Crutch. And he came with a weed whacker crutch. So the weed whacker is how he walked around because he was missing half of a leg. <laughs> but we, everybody knows him and loves him as Psycho Bum, if you were reading Wisdom, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, this, yeah. this is yeah. when McFarlane Spawn figures were really just going downhill, but their movie maniacs were really cool. So it was like you dropped out of the Spawn collecting figures and you went right into the horror figures. It was one of those things where you're just like, oh, wait, now they're making Austin Powers figures? What? Yeah. (laughs) But he was trying to do his best to keep people interested. uh, It was mentioned previously that there was a new face spawn that was sent only to retailers who ordered a certain number of issue number 50. But now they're calling it Wormhead Spawn because Wizard has seen the figure and they say it features long fangs and worms crawling through exposed muscle in the head. 
Wormhead spawn. So there you go. Now, next up here, the wizard Buzzbox drops the rumor that Todd McFarlane will resurrect Miracle Man to be written by Alan Moore or Neil Gaiman and then be developed for a movie or TV project. Nope. <laughs> show it to me, Todd. Show it to me, you. <laughs> Boom. Now, also, also in this issue, the Wizard Fan Awards results are announced, and surprisingly, Todd only won the title of favorite inker at this point. Where previously he was like favorite artist, he was ever, you know, Jim Lee walked away completely empty-handed, unless you count Gen 13 being awarded favorite cover. And I don't even know what cover they were talking about. Is that the cover of Wizard for issue 44? Is that just one of the Gen 13 issues that came out? Like, so poor Jim. It just, it, it really, if you look at the list, every winner was from Marvel. There was only a sprinkling of DC in the mix. So it really felt like the tides had definitely turned away from Image by 1996, and they were coming apart at the seams. You know. Let, let me ask <laughs> you. A let me ask you a question. A name we haven't heard in a while that was all over the books for probably 10 to 12 issues. That Stephen Platt guy is he on the list? <laughs> so this is like, like we couldn't get rid of this guy for about you know I'd say three months, maybe more, and all of a sudden we never hear about him again. Yeah, I mean, he, he's not like the top 10 comics. He's not involved in there. He had been doing a profit for you know extreme studios and then after and that supreme, he just right? kind of fizzled out yeah he was, he was also doing supreme at the time wasn't he oh yeah yeah I, th I think i think he did a little bit of that too but no like stephen platt not on the list did not make yeah. it so wow. he, his star had burnt out by this point the Todd thing makes sense, though, because he was only inking by that point in doing the odd cover, but he was inking over uh, Capullo's work. Yeah, so I guess like only specifically, that's the only title or the only award you could nominate him for. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That brings us to our final tally here, guys. So Jim Lee in the lead once again with 11 mentions, Todd only getting eight, bringing our running total to Jim Lee, 362, Todd McFarlane, 368. Hot on his heels. Six more mentions, Jim. Six more mentions in your tide. Hey, why don't you make it seven? A lucky seven and beat Todd. We'll find out how this plays out next issue. Stay tuned. But in the meantime, Mike, why don't you take us into some merch madness? All right, Kenner is releasing a History of Superman and History of Batman three packs of dolls featuring real cloth costumes and 32 points of articulation for each hero from the decades of the 40s, the 70s, and the 90s. The sets by Kenner also include four collector cards of iconic covers from those time periods, one of which is a hologram. These sets currently sell for between $100 to $150 on eBay. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with these when I, I saw them in this issue. Yeah, it's, and it's a weird decision, right? 40s, 70s, and 90s? Because the other thing that's inaccurate is the 40s Superman. They show the cover. The card is Action Comics number one. That came out in the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they were not doing their research there. Uh, Toy Biz speaks out on a rumor that the new Psylocke figure was rare because the head kept falling off the toy. Product manager Jesse Falcone replies, that's total bunk, and clarifies that the final head sculpt was what held up the shipping on the X-Men Femme Fatale, of which only 500,000 figures were produced. 
500,000's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Toy Biz also reveals that the figure will be repainted to create the first ever Electra toy. I feel like that figure was repainted a lot. Was it not? Oh, yeah. Well, the rogue, yeah, the rogue and the Psylocke. It's just like, great, we have a female body. Yes. Um, a ton of Batman merchandise arriving in time for the 10th anniversary of the Dark Knight Returns is previewed in this issue, including a cold cast porcelain statue of Frank Miller's Batman and Carrie Kelly Robin, a 224-page hardcover edition, plus posters and t-shirts. Now, I, I, have you guys seen recently the Carrie Kelly figure that's at Walmart these days? The McFarlane one? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a cool looking figure. Um, I remember this particular uh, Frank Miller uh, porcelain statue, though, because you see it pop up on eBay every now and again, like as a a thing. Yeah, I I love the the Carrie Kelly idea. Uh, What they did to the character in later uh, Frank Miller things with like the Dark Knight 3 and... um, the future iterations they kind of she becomes like cat girl or something like that at one point it's oh yeah it's a little kooky at times but um it's a cool character they actually just introduced a new robin in the uh sean murphy uh white knight series which is kind of cool and this robin is the sidekick of jason todd and also a female robin Adding to the Batmania is a 276-page hardcover book called Batman Collected, which contains 400 pages of rare Batman merchandise produced since the creation of the Cape Crusader. Some of it even from the collection of Andy Warhol. Huh. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys know he made a Batman movie in the 60s? I I remember hearing about it, but I have not seen a thing from it. But uh, Michael, have you ever come across this book? Because, man, I would love to see all these like rare uh, items. No, I've never seen this. I bet if I Googled it, I'd recognize the cover, but I've never seen it. Batmania book. I'm doing some deep Googling right now. Well, I think it's called Batman Collected. Oh, well, fine then. Whatever. (laughs) I'm sure it's one of those books that they printed, you know, 15,000 copies or less, and then you can't get it anymore. You know, nothing. I'm looking right now. It's actually not that bad. Uh, Oh, really? Well, there's a 2001 version that was released. There was a reprint of it. That's cool. It's only $88. Perfect for the, the comic lover. This is a wealth of rare Batman treasures drawn from the author's own collection and such fans as Andy Warhol. And DC Comics archives, 400 illustrations, five color photos, and five gatefolds. Whoa. (laughs) Sounds like a production. If somebody out there has it, uh, shoot us a couple pictures. We want to see what kind of stuff is in there. All right, close this out here, Mike. Uh, Finally, in the junk drawer section, Wizard begins a retrospective on all the DC Comics home console video games released since the 70s, starting with the Atari and up to the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. Most of the games star Batman or Superman, but JLA Task Force fighting game is mentioned, as well as an 8-bit Swamp Thing cartridge for the NES and even Game Boy game based on the John Wesley Ship TV series. I did not know that existed. I need. To I know. It. Is that awesome? That's amazing. Wizard also reports that a Lobo fighting game was released for the SNES and Genesis, though it actually was canceled at the last minute. Yeah, That's they're it. pretty harsh on it. They're like, it's the worst game of the year, in our opinion. <laughs> so do you guys, like, speaking of video games, do you have a favorite DC Comics video game from the 80s or 90s you remember playing? Uh, Yes, let me... Um... There was this uh, Batman 89 game, and it may have been for the... Uh, 
the, pur- the purple Batman, the purple Batman yeah. one. Yeah, I think so. That the, you know, DC was. I didn't play many DC comics games. Like I remember a '90s Superman one that was like a side scroller, like the Ninja Turtles game was. Yeah. yeah. So the original Batman game that was one of like the first games that wasn't Mario Brothers that I got, and it to this day is probably one of the hardest games I've ever played in my life. <laughs> so hard that game. It really is. Yeah, it's super tough. And they even mentioned that the same company was about to lose the license. I believe it was Sunsoft. And so they made a, a quick sequel called Return of the Joker or something. And yes. it was just like the same levels, basically, but they just slightly tweaked things. <laughs> so I was like, I thought that was funny. I don't know. For me, I always really liked, there was a Superman game by, I think it was by Taito was the name of the developer. And I just loved playing that one because you could like fly around and use your heat vision and all these cool things. You were literally like, instead of walking on a street and punching guys, there was also a flying level, but you're just like kind of hovering around and punching. And I just thought it was so cool. Plus it had, you could, you know, player one was the blue Superman and player two was the red Superman, you know, so you would have blue and red Superman. Superman team it up. So I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, because the one I remember is the death and return of Superman playing that one in the 90s. That's a pretty good game, actually. Yeah, it's cool. We're going to bring <laughs> this train into the station because it's got a little off the rails here and there. We're going to dive into our Turox top 10. This top 10 list is the top 10 ways Star Wars kicks ass over Star Trek. A rebuttal to Wizards, a rebuttal to Wizard top ways Star Trek kicks Star Wars ass or whatever. (laughs) Okay, so number 10. In Star Wars, every planet they go to looks cool and has neat aliens. In Star Trek, every planet looks like a blue screen backlot and all the aliens are extras. Gene Roddenberry slept with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, his wife was on the show. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. Number nine. No lame-ass prime directive stopping you from whipping ass. (laughs) What? (laughs) Mike, what do you got for number eight? Uh, when ships get hit in Star Wars, everyone rolls in the same direction. But Number seven, stormtroopers may not be able to hit the broadside of a barn, but they're still a lot more threatening than a space Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> I think several historic figures made their way onto the bridge of the Enterprise. <laughs> okay. Uh, number six, in Star Wars, all chicks are fair game. Heck, even your sister. Number five, Han Solo never had to degrade himself by shooting a baggy suited reptilian alien with a hollow log and some charcoal. (laughs) Whoa, that's a deep hole. I don't know what episode that was. (laughs) No idea. My, My Star Trek knowledge is very limited. Number four. You can safely wear a red shirt in Star Wars. Oh, <laughs> see, I like those because they don't make me feel uncomfortable when I read them. There you go. That's a safe one. Number three. I'm getting all these. Luke Skywalker could kick Wesley Crusher's ass with one hand tied behind his back. Hell, Luke's cutoff hand could kick Wesley's ass with itself tied behind its back. 
and number two, here's your awkward one to say, uh, Michael. Kirk would have just used the force to get some. Oh, boy. That seems wrong. Okay. And now the number one, I will say, didn't age well only (laughs) because of what happens in the future, not person-wise, but movie-wise. Roddenberry equals dead. Lucas equals genius. They didn't see The Phantom Menace, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, if if he's so smart, how come he's dead? Yeah. (laughs) I can't remember if that was a Simpsons joke or I've heard that somewhere. I don't know. Well, guys, there you go. We don't know which side you were won over to, Star Trek or Star Wars, but certainly they are continuing to battle it out to this day. But we are not battling. We are having some laughs and we're glad that you joined us and came along for the ride. Mike, thanks for coming back, man. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I'm happy to be back. You have to have me on again. You're welcome whenever you want. We love having you here. You're very cool guy to talk to. And I just enjoy your social media as well. Where where can they find you? Well, you can find me at uh, 50 Cent Comic Collector. Uh, That's pretty much it, really. You don't need to find me anywhere else, at least not right now. Uh, And I wrote an R.L. Stein movie and it goes into production in a week. I think they go to camera. Wow. So maybe you'll be it's, able it's, to is find it a Eureka's me. Castle live action film? It's not uh, a, not it's Eureka's Castle, you weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know he created Eureka's uh, Castle? No, you're blowing that my mind. That is an R.L. Right Stein production. Yeah. I did not. Well, this is like a, a, a fairly unknown R.L. Stein book, I think. Are you guys familiar with Zombie Town? No. no. Hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a short novella he wrote. You know, and, that, and you adapted I, it. I'd say loosely based on because it's a very very simple premise, and we had to expand it, make it into an actual full length movie. But yeah, that's supposed to be coming to Hulu at some point. I'm guessing next year. I don't really know the plan. That's awesome. Good for you, man. And I brought it up at the last podcast, but my comic book, I have finally found a publisher. I am just closing the deal now, and they're they're planning to launch it on Kickstarter to begin with before it hits comic shelves. So we'll yeah. spread the word for sure. That's fantastic. Glad to hear awesome. it. Good for you. Congratulations. Well, That's awesome. And Michael, where can people find us on the web? Oh, where can they find us? Oh, where can they find us? Well, they can find us on Twitter at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics. You can go to our T Public store if you want to get some merch. I just ordered us some stickers because I wanted stickers for some reason. And give us a five-star review. Let us know how you think about the show. You can also follow us on other podcasting platforms that I, there's so many I can't keep track of. Or our YouTube channel. You can also check us out through the Retro Network. Adam does a lot of stuff with Mickey and Jason on, you know, the wax back, paperback, comic back, <laughs> whatever thing they do. They're back writer. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Whatever you guys do. They have a lot of YouTube stuff and podcast stuff. Great content all around. Hey, and so we want to hear more from you. So reach out to us, find us. But in the meantime, keep your books bagged and boarded. of the Retro Network.